0: Binge the full week of The Ray Taylor Show ad-free over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. This is The Ray Taylor Show. Welcome to The Ray Taylor Show, where I bring you reviews of the latest movies and TV shows, as well as classic and foreign films. I'm your host, Ray Taylor, and on this podcast, I'll be talking about all things film and television. Whether you're looking for a new show to binge or want to know if that blockbuster is worth the trip to the theater or just want to hear my thoughts on a classic or foreign film, I've got you covered. So join me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes and let's dive into the world of film and television together. On today's episode, I am revisiting the movie, the horror film from 2018, Hereditary, Written and directed by Ari Aster, starring Tony Collette, Millie Shapiro, Alex Wolff, and Gabriel Burns. Uh, this movie: a grieving family is haunted by a tragic and disturbing occur- by tragic and c- disturbing occurrences. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing the next three weeks: this week, next week, and the week after. Uh, the three Ari Aster films, which the newest one uh something if bow is afraid i think i have not seen looking forward to have been looking forward to and uh wanting to revisit hereditary next week will be Midsummer, as it is halloween as it is the month of horror movies at the ray taylor show where i love to you know review classic horror films uh review horror films by specific directors so this being uh, Ari Aster although I don't think Bo's Afraid is technically a horror film but uh, it doesn't matter uh, I, I'm looking forward to it regardless and uh, was also looking forward to re-watching this movie which is my second time watching this film the first time I watched it uh, I liked it but didn't uh, you know didn't really hit with me didn't really hook me didn't really like the end And I think it was mostly because I was, I don't know, confused. I think I watched it in a theater and there are aspects of this movie that require you to read text on screen, sometimes on screen text, sometimes text in a book, a portion of a book that is literally highlighted for you to read in order to kind of explain the uh aspects of this movie that happen at the end and i think i didn't read those uh but even still in this rewatch uh having the ability to pause and actually take time to read it uh make sure i understood it it's still the end i had to look up and kind of get a little bit more backstory specifically on the end uh that kind of really fleshed out and filled in all of the the blank spots the blind spots of this movie but uh you know it was a bit confusing potentially the first time watching it uh but this uh this time obviously reviewing it I'm able to pay more attention take notes all of those things I can pause the movie to read things uh I can also look things up so this watch made a lot more sense uh really made me appreciate this movie quite a bit more uh, and I appreciated all the aspects of this movie uh, in a much deeper way. I would say in this in this watch, it is definitely a masterwork. As I, you know, I, I it reminds me a lot of another director that I watched a while back, and I'm completely blanking on his name. But uh, these directors that are doing horror in a new way, the guy that did. The Vavitch, right? I'm gonna look this up live on the thing here, right? Because that's what you do when you're recording a show. You look up, uh, you look up um, things live on the show. Uh, Robert Eggers, kind of reminds me of Robert Eggers, although I think I I appreciate Robert's stuff a little bit more than Ari Aster, but we'll see. Uh, I do love this movie though. It's it's great amazing performances from tony collette who plays the mom as well as alex wolf who plays the son i think in watching this movie the second time uh, alex wolf's character peter i believe was man a devastating character just i just putting myself in his shoes was just absolutely it's like he's going through hell in this movie for sure uh, but a movie that is an instant classic in the horror genre i would say so it uh, fits in perfectly in the month of October as I'm watching all of these horror movies. But in re-watching this movie, it hit so much different uh, today than when it did when I first watched it. It uh, brought up so many crazy parallels to my life, uh, at least in the way this movie starts. Not necessarily the movie as a whole, but definitely the way this movie starts specifically hit with me recently. Uh, also the scary moments uh, like jump scares followed it's many times there are like these jump scares that happen in this movie and they're immediately followed up by just something extra creepy or or something like ambiguously happening this visual um, that is almost like a one two punch every time like something crazy happens and then it's followed right up with something else. Um, you also have in this movie the strobing bass score that sounds almost like a sonogram, but also has like this kind of ticking time clock type of anxiety feeling to it. Uh, also relates to what the characters in this movie f- describe uh, feeling a- at moments as if the air feels like it's pulsing. So it's it's a, a sound of the in the score that really does a lot of things in this movie and relates to this movie in a lot of ways. Uh, I appreciated. it. There's also some tilt shift shots that make the real life shots look miniature, which is ties in with the fact that uh, the main character, Tony Collette's character is an artist who makes is making these models. So that aspect of it reminded me of a short horror film that I watched recently called Night of the Mini Dead. Part of the Love, Death, and Robot series, Season four, episode f- season 3, Episode 4, Night of the Living Dead. More of a comedy than anything, but is done in tilt-shift, so it all looks like miniatures uh, of this zombie apocalypse. Amazing little short film, part of the Love, Death, and Robot series. Uh, but that kind of, uh, it, it reminded me of this movie. This movie reminded me of that. There's also some meta comments that gave me uh, Synecdoche, New York vibes. Involving the miniatures and Annie, the, the Annie, the Tony Collette's character is making uh, as these miniatures are kind of her representation of events that have happened in her life. Um, and then also this movie, the blending of kind of a haunting or possession along with mental health issues like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, things like that, uh, which I think is kind of a common thing in horror movies where the line between what you're watching is real and what you're watching is in somebody's head is blurred and this movie does that a lot Uh, a lot of amazing practical effects in this movie which I love movies that do that Uh, and also use of light refraction along with just dark corners of a room being utilized to hide things in the background that you're supposed to notice or at least take time to notice. And the way they're done I appreciated because you could actually see them versus some movies that hide things in the dark, maybe do too good of a job hiding them to where you really can't see them that well. Um also the family dynamic in this movie is great. The mom is an artist and comes from a family with very severe mental health issues. Uh, that contributes to her traumatic past. Um, and her art recreating moments in miniature is great. It also shows how she interprets moments differently than how they may have actually occurred, uh, which is something that I noticed, which I don't know if it's, is intentional or if it's, uh, you know, it's it's just another aspect of this movie where you're questioning, What's real? What are you watching? That's real. What do these characters uh, view? What are their perspectives on what's going on? What is real? What memories are real? Are they? How are they interpreting the memories that they have? Um, are they? Is they changing them? Which happens? I mean, human memory is pretty horrible, so it's a pretty common thing. Uh, you also have the father trying to hold everything together. He is like the. Gabriel Byrne is like the uh you know he's in many ways kind of a nothing character but he is the one person that is kind of the grounded person in this where crazy things are happening to everybody else involved and he is kind of at the center of it just trying to stay calm and stay grounded which uh you know I feel definitely have sympathy for that guy but um doesn't have a whole lot to do and then of course you have the kids you have peter specifically uh i mean one of the kids has a very tragic end but peter uh goes through hell in this movie uh from every direction it it is like to see the hell that this kid is going through uh is pretty horrific um if this movie had just stuck with his story and not showing the, the kind of the the craziness that's happening uh, to the other people in this movie as well. But yeah, it's a, a great movie where you don't know what's happening. I, I do appreciate the end after having rewatched it, after, after having done just a little research on the end of this movie and the kind of uh, historical figures historical fictional figures that it represents uh definitely helped fill in some of the blanks and and made me appreciate it more but i do want to get into spoilers for for hereditary so uh you know dive into specific moments so if you don't want to be spoiled this is your warning spoilers uh but this movie opens with kind of an obituary uh for ellen tapper lay who is the mother of uh Annie the grandmother of the kids who died at 78 um and when I'm watching this I like there's no way I read this when I watched this movie the first time so often because I'm not a fast reader when text goes on screen or if things are meant to be read like there's also a scene in this movie where she opens Tony Collette's character opens a book and there's a passage literally highlighted for you to read to kind of explain this demon um, A lot of times I don't even bother to read it because I know I'm not going to finish reading it before it cuts away. But through the uh, ability of watching it at home and having being able to pause it, uh, I finally read it. And it talks about, you know, it sets up who she is, but it also sets up the trauma that happened in her family. Uh, that we hear more from from Tony Collette's character while at a group therapy session, um, <clears throat> but crazy. The opening shot of the home office, kind of her studio space at the home. You see that she has these giant models that she's doing these model houses. Also, I mean, first you see this treehouse, which is a miniature house in a tree. And then you go inside to her studio, which are even more miniature houses, like a recreation of the actual house that they live in, um, scaled way down like a dollhouse, basically. And this is kind of, as an artist, this is what she works on. And they are models of different moments that have happened in her life or things in her life. And there's this great slow zoom in to a bedroom of this miniature house And when it zooms all the way into the bedroom, it becomes the bedroom where her son Peter is being woken up because they're getting ready to go to the funeral of the woman that the obituary was shown at the beginning. You have the daughter who slept in the treehouse, which is like a well-made treehouse, but they're all concerned because it's cold and, you know, she could have frozen. And there's clearly something – the daughter's a little weird, and that kind of fits into the whole – idea of the story of this movie the underlying uh, premise of this movie so they go to the funeral for the grandma and it's crazy to see this as my own mom passed away recently but there was no funeral that i know of it the situation was what it was uh, you know, I was down to my last few dollars. Like, I the I didn't know how I was going to pay rent, let alone organize some whole thing. And didn't really know her as well. Right? It's just something that, like, I don't know. It's like a crazy situation. And I don't know what I would have said. I didn't know my mom very well. I didn't know her life. So... When I see this scene, that's what I'm thinking of. As Tony Collette's character goes up to give like a eulogy and speak at her funeral, and I had no right, no idea when she does start speaking, how crazy what she says is. You know, because uh, I mean, just it's always weird whenever I've seen depictions of things in movies, whether it's funerals or just family gatherings. Like I, I didn't grow up with that. I didn't like uh, my family kind of split apart in many ways, extended family, close family. Didn't I pretty much on my own. So when I see like families getting together and having fun, it's like so alien to me, but also uh, seeing this is kind of alien as well. And then, Annie, Tony Collette's character, the daughter of this woman that died, starts to speak and mentions how she didn't know anything about her mother. She led a very private life. She had private friends. Uh, she doesn't feel qualified to be talking about her mom. And, and just then my head exploded because I just wrote down in my notes that, like, I could—like, I— putting myself in a situation like that, having gone through a similar situation where my mom did die, it like, I wouldn't have known what to say. I didn't know her life. And that's exactly. So it kind of blew my mind that, that opening thing that, that she says at the funeral, let's take a quick break from this episode to talk about something that I want to share with you. The Many Faces, which is an ongoing ink painting series of abstract and surreal faces that I do. A new face comes out every day. However, the big news is, available now, I have limited edition prints that are signed and numbered, printed by me, professional grade inks on the same quality paper, 140 pound paper that I use for the original paintings. So the prints in sizes of four by six are sold for five dollars, six by nine are sold for ten, and nine by twelve are sold for twenty. Only five prints are available for each original ink painting. So start your art collection now by going to inspiredisorder.com. Take your walls to the next level with these limited edition prints. Once they're gone, they're gone. Go to inspiredisorder.com and shop the collection and take your walls to the next level. And now let's get back to this episode. During the funeral, you see somebody rubbing like some essential oils on the grandma's lips. Uh the granddaughter sees her uh sees that happening. And I kind of love Charlie, the granddaughter. She's like weird she does this clicking thing very like just a very weird kid but i i don't know i love this kid watching this uh you know her sleeping in the tree house making that clicking sound kind of when she's in the zone kind of just doing her own thing uh she gets sucked into her sketchbook drawing uh she has a peanut allergy that's clearly going to come up later um possibly was breastfed by the grandma but it's one of those one of many things where it's like there's the miniature scene that Annie made showing the grandma coming in with like her breast out as Annie is breastfeeding I assume to be Charlie and then later on there's a picture of the grandma feeding Charlie with a bottle and when it's said there's this moment where she i forget if it's charlie or the mom said uh that she used to feed me It they, they didn't specify what that meant when she was a, a child but then you see the scene of annie and then that made me think kind of recontextualize these moments that annie is making in model form that maybe those are moments of how she interpreted the moments and aren't actually literal like maybe the grandma did just bre- bottle feeder and not breast feeder regardless sets up that there's a weird issue with this family uh and even charlie her actual room is at the top of the house right so you have the vaulted ceilings uh so in many ways it's almost like a larger version of the tree house also high up uh off the ground so it would kind of make sense that almost charlie's almost Living in the miniature version of her own room when she goes into the treehouse to sleep. Uh, And she's the scene where she's forced to go with her brother to the party just is horrible for everybody involved. Like, clearly, Charlie has no desire to be at this party. Obviously, Pete doesn't want uh, her to be there either. And then even the party is like, like at this nice house. Like expensive, looks expensive, like large artwork on the walls. And he ditches her to smoke with uh, this girl he has a crush on and told to just go stand by the cake in the kitchen to get a slice. Right. Despite her knowing, not knowing anybody, despite nobody knowing who she is. And of course, the chocolate cake has peanuts in it. I assume like a, a Reese's Cup kind of inspired chocolate cake. Uh, of course, that peanut allergy was going to come up. And then you have the moment on the way home. Uh, well, on the way of the party, before they even got there, they passed by a telephone pole that the camera sticks on that has a symbol. Which is the same symbol you saw on the necklace of the grandma at the funeral. Uh, I, I think uh, Annie has a necklace, similar necklace. Uh, she mentions it, but I didn't notice her wearing it. But it's a symbol that comes up later on, and that pole comes up later on as well. You have the mom, Annie, who is an artist, working on this exhibition of her miniatures, uh, like the model house in the opening shot. Um, as a kid, always had a jo- I personally, as a kid, always had jobs during the summertime, right? The growing up, whether it was sanding down and painting my grandparents fence or helping a neighbor remodel, take up all the tile off of the ground, helping them remodel a house or one summer I had a job when I was a kid. I mean, I was like, you know, preteen probably. Uh, I had a job building miniature furniture for dollhouses for my grandma. Apparently my grandma, like it's something I don't really think about, but apparently my grandma had, I, she did have these dollhouses. And so one, one summer she paid me to build all of this furniture for the dollhouse. So I had a giant like round glass patio table brought into my room so I could, you know, work on all these things. And I remember staying up so late in my room that it did not have proper ventilation while I'm putting together this model furniture with model glue that has strong fumes. So I was probably high off of my ass as a child building all of this furniture. I remember staying up so late watching, like, the Arsenio Hall show, watching the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Like, some of the first times I stayed up that late to watch those late night talk shows. But anyway, she lies, Annie lies about going to see movies in order to go to this group therapy for those who have lost loved ones. Like she doesn't feel comfortable telling her husband that she's going to therapy for losing her mom. Right? So she lies about going to the movies and you, while she's at this group therapy, You find out her entire family had severe mental illness, which is also referred to in the opening obituary post at the beginning of the movie. And you see her dealing with pressure. She's getting pressure from the gallery. Uh, They want her to show them where she is, her progress on her work. Uh, She even has a model of uh, the gallery space with miniatures of the miniatures uh in it so again that synecdoche new york vibe from charlie kaufman great movie um but these these models are very interesting right they're these like realized kind of moments in her life and aspects uh that are brought down into miniature and even within those there are miniatures within that uh, and she stops doing uh going to the group meetings after her daughter dies after the tragedy, right which that poll later Charlie's head gets lopped off uh in just a brutal scene. but Annie stops going to these group meetings, but then one of the members reaches out to her uh and but not at all thinking like not at all thinking about like how her son might need help. Like he accidentally was, he was driving the car when avoiding something in the road, swerving, accidentally killed his sister. And at no point does she care or think that maybe my son might need some help. She's going, she's lying about going to get help for herself but at no point does she get care about. So there's like this severe narcissism involved with this woman as well. But uh, you see her. She sleeps in the treehouse one night. She goes uh, to see that woman from the group. And, uh, you know, she has medication. Um, but all she can think about is how her son is so isolated Uh, Like, all I can think about is how her son is just so isolated and on his own. And meanwhile, she's reaching out for help. She's on medication. She's going to therapy. She's getting all of these means of help for her to cope with it. Meanwhile, her son is just being ignored, right? He's not in any support groups. Nobody's reaching out to see if he's okay. Nobody is putting him on antidepressant medication or anything, right? He's just dealing with nothing but blame and guilt. For what he's done which is like to see this movie from his perspective is absolutely brutal and then you have when her friend asks her how her son is doing after the tragedy she tells her she ends up instead of answering it she tells her story about how she sleepwalks and once she woke up uh once standing in his bedroom covered in paint thinner then both covered in paint thinner um Right. So it's like she gets the question of how your son is handling the fact that he accidentally killed his sister. And you decide to tell a story about how you almost killed yourself and him by lighting each other on fire while he was sleeping. Right. It's like it's not it really feels like she's guiding it back to how she is the victim. Like you asked about how my son is. Well, let me tell you about how I'm the victim and how. I almost did this crazy thing, right? And he always held it against her. This is what, uh, you know, that's like her. Like, he always held that. Th- like, you almost br- set him on fire, and you're you're upset with the fact that he holds that against you. It's. I mean, I would assume you never got, you never, like, had any discussions about it, right? Like, the fact that he holds it against you is probably a sign that, you've never really gone through that you just went to therapy on your own but and again just showing how she's the victim he holds it against me why would he hold it against me i was only gonna light him on fire and then you have her making the model of the tragedy with like the decapitated head on the side of the road and you know another representation of her trauma but also possibly through her biased perspective Right. We already know in when she was asked the question about how her son's doing, how it's always leads back to her. So it's like and then also the the inconsistencies with the fact that she has this miniature of her mom going to breastfeed Charlie. But then we saw a picture of her bottle feeding Charlie. So it's like there's inconsistencies of it. So it could just be her own biased view of these moments that happen and then the husband goes in and sees this model and asks how Peter might feel and she just justifies it as it's a neutral view of the accident it's not like I'm it, it, it's yeah it's, it's neutral view of one of the most horrific things he accidentally did he accidentally killed his sister getting no support from anybody And not only that, you're building a miniature to represent his grievous mistake. You spend time and effort to recreate his worst mistake in vivid detail instead of trying to find him help. Just so detached from reality and other people's feelings. And then you have her blow up at Peter at the dinner table, right? Again, no sympathy for his situation, only her perspective, only wishing the tragedy would make things easier. I I don't, you know, after this, I hope it just makes things easier for us. And you had the dad clearly angry at her, her response in that moment, and then her blaming him for not taking responsibility, despite the fact that Charlie was only there with Peter Because she forced Peter to take her to the party. She she didn't want to go to the party. Peter didn't want her to go to the party. She just wanted her there to keep Peter from having fun as a kid. So instead of her taking responsibility for the fact that she forced her daughter to go to this party that nobody involved wanted to happen, she blames that on Peter. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Also, you have these nightmares. Uh, She wakes up. It's like so many times people wake up and crazy things are happening and you find out that they're in a dream. And sometimes there's layers of dreams. One of those moments when she wakes up and she sees ants in a room, right? You see ants. She ends up going to Peter's room and ants are like spewing out of his mouth. Right? Similar visually to when we saw Charlie's head severed on the side of the road, ants crawling all over it, right? So, uh, a similar view, a callback to that imagery. And it, she seemingly wakes up from that dream, standing in Peter's room, as if she was sleepwalking again. And then she starts telling Peter that she, tr- she didn't want him. She tried to have miscarriages. She did everything they told her not to do, right? And he still was born, right? She's just like laying it on this kid who's already receiving zero help or sympathy for accidentally killing his sister. Now he's hearing from his mom that she didn't want him, and she was literally trying to do everything to terminate the pregnancy, aside from just getting an abortion, You know, uh, it just, but while she's telling him this stuff, next you see that she's covered in something, I assume paint thinner, and then this fire starts, and then she wakes up again. So, like, that didn't actually happen, but in her dreams, she was telling these things to Peter, seemingly things that, you know, he asked her in her dream, like, why do you hate me, and she's like, I tried to kill you. I didn't want you. I tried to kill you when I was pregnant. I did everything I could to terminate the pregnancy and it just I couldn't. It wouldn't work. You still got here. But I love you. I swear I do. Right. And then she gets these has these. First off, she learns how to do a seance from this lady that, you know, from her group. Right. So she tries to do this manic seance herself. Right bringing the husband down, bringing Peter down. Her so focused on trying to connect with Charlie instead of giving a fuck about the two people that are still alive who are still hurting, and she's still focused on on Charlie and seemingly gets possessed by Charlie. It's a crazy scene, or at least it seems like she was possessed by Charlie. And then... uh, There's a scene where she tries to burn Charlie's sketchbook and then her own sleeve catches on fire, almost like the spirit is protecting the sketchbook. Um, Then you have the seance friend, Joan, uh, when she goes to her house and she's not home. But then you see inside Joan's house and you see on her kitchen table that there's like clearly ritual candles lit everywhere. And there's clearly like some ritual going on with this. She's got like a triangle carved in the table, a picture of Pete and then you have all of the decapitated heads that Charlie collected along with this weird toy that she was making, right? So clearly some kind of seance or some kind of thing going on. Let's take a quick break from this podcast episode so I can share something that can make you some money if that's what you're looking to do. Sign up now to make extra money doing user-generated content. You don't need to have a big social media following. Uh, you would like to get some free products to create original content like product photos, how to videos, unboxing videos, product reviews, product de- demos. If you want to do any of that stuff, if that sounds like fun, and you want to make some money and get some free products, go sign up through Join Brands today. Go to my link, slash UGC. This is the exact same service that I use to book jobs and get paid. It doesn't cost anything to sign up. You don't have to connect your social media accounts. Just prove you can make the content by completing their very simple certification process, and you're ready to make money. Sign up now. Go to inspiredisorder.com UGC and click on the sign up button on the bottom of the page. Once you sign up, just apply to whatever gigs you want in the marketplace Go to inspired inspired disorder.com slash UGC and see all of the content I've created and click on the link to sign up and start getting paid to make content and get free products. Now let's get back to the show. Then her going up in the attic, digging through her mom's stuff, finds a book. Like, of course, I know it's a movie, but it's like she's opening boxes up, taking out seemingly random books opening it to seemingly random pages and just so happens that the exact page she turns to has a highlighted chapter which when you pause the movie unless you're fast enough to read kind of describes this demon payment and how the process by which you can bring him back and and get him to possess a person permanently or whatever right right it's 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 this passage highlighted discussing finding a host for the god of mischief, mischief payment, right? You need a vulnerable male for this to work, right? Then she finds this picture of Joan, this woman, and her mom and puts it together that, oh, Joan and her mom were part of this uh, this cult or whatever, clearly working together to use Peter as the host, right? There's been discussion that, like, uh, Charlie mentioned before she died that She knew that they wanted a boy, right? I don't know if grandma wanted a boy because they wanted a vulnerable male to transfer payment's body that can, you know, hold up shop permanently in this this male host. Um, And that's what they wanted Charlie for, but Charlie came out a girl and they were disappointed. Um, Then you have Peter, right? This directionless kid. Right. Just literally there's a scene, a, this great scene early on of his bedroom. And it's like camera starts on his computer screen, you know, in front of the computer screen, you have a book that has ground up weed on it. You have his little bong. But then on the computer screen is a website, uh, or search results for popular career interests. And then on top of that window. Uh, was a social media account for this girl that he has a crush on, right? In that one image, you know everything about Peter, right? He has no idea what career he wants to get into. He has just popular career interests website up. But he keeps getting distracted by this girl that he's got a crush on. And meanwhile, the only way he's able to get any kind of medication or therapy is by smoking weed like he's self-medicating with weed and this is even before his sister dies but it's clear that like his mom doesn't give a shit about him didn't want him so i'm and doesn't seem to really care about him once his sister does die but he packs a bowl right this in this tiny bomb smokes it out the window um kind of a perfect visual description of this kid this high school teenager uh in a single image and then after the tragedy clearly a zombie right he's like from the moment he realizes after swerving in to miss whatever was in the road and uh hears the noise of his sister being decapitated and just frozen in the car trying to just get out the words are you okay is everything okay just like hoping that he will hear a response that she is but like knowing full well that the worst thing just happened and just how he is from then on he's like this catatonic zombie right trying to self-medicate with weed right the complete opposite end of the spectrum from how his mom is handling This whole thing. Um, You know, she goes and seeks help. She went to these group therapy meetings. Right. She's taking medication. She's doing all of the things that she knows somebody would need help with after a loss. But he is not receiving any of those things, just trying to survive on his own. Right. Just absolutely alone after that. The scene where he has a panic attack after taking a hit. Right. And just like begging his, one of his friends, they don't care either, right? They're just hanging out smoking weed, and this guy is just trying to survive medicating with weed, and he's having this panic attack. He's just begging his friend, please hold my hand. please." It's like such a sad scene. Um, him not sleeping. You see him just laying in bed with his eyes wide open. Him seeing Charlie in the shadows. One of many times people are seen in shadows, like Annie sees her mom in the shadows at one point early on. But this kid not getting any support at all. And then he starts seeing this light refraction, right, that kind of guides his view to look at things. And he sees his reflection while he's at school in the glass cabinet that's next to him. And his reflection is of him just having this, like, creepy smile looking back at him, right? While he, the reality of him is that he's basically catatonic. And he's got this, like, creepy smile reflection looking back at him it's crazy uh then he sees charlie in the shadows of his room uh followed by these arms trying to rip his head off um then uh getting possessed by charlie in class right this creepy moment where he like starts to do the clicking sound kind of raising his hand with this like you know weird gesture Right. And then. uh, Seemingly choking like she was uh, because of the allergy. Right. Then slamming his head into the desk multiple times before screaming, just uh, just like this guy's reality is just hell. It's just hell. Right. Not only are bad things happening to you, but like he's surrounded by people that don't care. And, like, maybe his dad cares, but his dad's not taking him to therapy. His dad's not taking him to get medication. He's, like, concerned more than the mom is. But the mom is, like, like d- doesn't – d- had never wanted him. And now he killed Charlie, so now he's, like, it just – she's not – he's, like, doesn't even exist to her. And then just after that, his mom's friend – uh, his or no, just after that, his mom finds uh in a headless body in the attic. Like she's going up, she sees this headless body in the attic, which is apparently the mom, the grandma, and they cut the head off. And there's the same symbol that painted on the roof that was on the pole that decapitated Charlie, it was on their necklaces, and apparently is the symbol of payment. Uh so that's painted on the wall above the grandma uh, and uh, was in the, the the cover of the book with the information on it. You also have Annie's friend from the group therapy who insists on talking to her uh, when Annie's kind of hesitant about coming back to therapy after her daughter dies, uh, then invites her over for a seance and kind of a, a medium came over and taught her this whole razzle dazzle thing uh so she ends up doing the seance for annie right which that entailed that she does uh with her husband and peter uh shows her the rules to communicate with her daughter um and she's like the entire family needs to be present uh she ends the whole thing telling her that she didn't kill her and she is and she's isn't gone right uh so she's like still around uh and on the way home annie hears the tongue click right so it's like this person tells annie how she can communicate with charlie but we find out that this spirit is payment was in the body of charlie but couldn't stay there permanently because it wasn't a vulnerable male right And the idea is now to transfer that soul that is kind of without a body now that Charlie is dead into Peter. And it's kind of this like almost like a long con trying to get Annie to do to fulfill these things that the grandma wanted to do, Um, which is the overarching like you know structure of this movie is this cult that the grandma was part of is trying to get the permanent host for payment and peter is the host that they want and probably the reason why she was unable to kill him because the grandma probably helped uh keep that from happening um there's a lot of scary moments in this. There's the moment where she reads a note from her mom uh, just after the funeral. Uh, she turns the light off in the studio and in the shadows. Another one of those moments in the shadows. She sees her mom. Very scary. Uh, and she kind of stares at her for a beat before turning the lights on. And it's almost as if she had like the the mom had a smile on her face. The grandma, which you see. Other People. Like later on in the movie, you see a lot of naked people in the shadows, and they all have like a big smile on their face. And I'm sure part of that is because they know that soon payment will have its permanent host. So she turns the lights on. She looks over at her miniatures, the one that, that, that shows the mob going to breastfeed Charlie, uh, and she turns it to the wall. Like she doesn't want to see it. But that's when we see the scene of the breastfeeding, the the grandma wanting to breastfeed Charlie um, and the grant and Annie breastfeeding her in bed, uh, <clears throat> which at the moment recontextualizes the scene where Charlie mentions that the grandma would feed her. But in that moment, it's kind of ambiguous where she meant bottle feed or breastfeed and. Annie's model would imply breastfeeding. But then we see the picture later uh, that she's bottle feeding her. So it's like, you know, there's ambiguity to that whole thing. Um, Regardless, it's a creepy family dynamic. Uh, Charlie in school. Distracted. She's like building this toy instead of taking a test and this bird flies into the window which is a scary moment another jump scare but then it's followed by her she like this refraction of light guides her eyes to scissors that are on the teacher's desk and later you see charlie using those scissors to cut the head off the dead bird right so it's just one of the many times where you have like this scary moment like a jump scare followed by this creepy what is what is what's going on right now why is she cutting the head off this bird um there's also this voyeur kind of aspect to it we're outside the school uh waving at this the uh person waving at charlie after she's beheaded that bird uh also outside the home after peter blows the weed smoke out the window uh and kind of takes a breath so there's there's like these voyeuristic moments of people watching them. And there's moments where Peter's at school and he's like hearing his name and and sees people. Uh, the anaphylactic shock is a scary moment. The decapitation, absolutely brutal. The fact she can't breathe, right? She's got her head sticking out the window to try and get air. And he swerves to avoid something in the road and just bam. It's just absolutely brutal. You have this wide shot Of this safety friendly Subaru stopping on the side of the road uh, and just like him realizing it, knowing, but going through the motions, asking if she's okay, Um, Then just like slowly letting off the brake to let the car go again. And then you see him slowly pulling up to the house. uh, And it's so early in the movie and so brutal. Then the zombie walk he takes into the house and then into his bed. Then cut to the morning where his eyes are still wide open, right, with his head on the pillow. And you just hear Annie realize, like, the next morning he's laying in bed, eyes still open, didn't get any sleep, but he can now hear his mom realizing what happened and wailing in the distance. And then cut to that decapitated head with the ants. It's just like... That scene at the beginning of the movie that's kind of starts everything off is like so brutal, so brutal. Then you have when Peter wakes up after slamming his head into the desk, uh, discovered his uh, dad after his dad had been burnt up, discovering his dad's corpse. And you have the mom in the background like he's looking down at his charbroiled dad. And behind him, you see, up in the ceiling, up in the rafters, you see his mom, which is absolutely crazy. Then there's the creepy guy from the funeral, is naked in the shadows. And you see his mom chasing him. Absolutely, absolutely scary. Him jumping out the window, and then you see her body float, or he goes up into the attic, right? And you see her on the underside of the attic door just banging her head on the attic. It's just like... Absolutely terrifying moment. Super scary. And then he sees his mom floating in the attic above him, sawing off her head with a wire. Then you have a ton of naked people there scare him. He ends up jumping out the window. And then he sees his mom's beheaded body float up into the treehouse. It is just like that final sequence. Absolutely terrifying. Uh, The dad pretty pretty unaffective in this movie overall uh really kind of cares only about upcoming events keeping everybody on track uh her gallery showing um his son's sat preparation kind of detached from everything um and not like being horrible to his son but also not helping the son get help um, and him ending up getting burned when Annie throws a sketchbook. Don't really know why he got burned, because she tried to burn the sketchbook before, and instead she caught on fire, but now she threw it in the, the fire, and he got burned. So I don't understand that. Uh, but the end of it, when Payman was first in Charlie's body, but couldn't fully possess her because it was she. Payman needs a male body, so they transferred it to peter and this is the only aspect of the movie that i wish i had been that had i wish i had been communicated better the the what's going on the the payment thing because it ties everything together it makes everything make sense like this god payment makes the clicking sound this god payment makes these toys and does these things decapitates like all of the things charlie was doing are things that payment does And you see that when that happens and gets transferred into Peter, he does like the same clicking sound, Um, which there is some of that explanation in the movie. But I think it could have been done a little bit more. Obviously, there's a line. You don't want to be too much over explaining. But, uh, you know, this demonic possession mixed with mental illness, I thought was great uh, as a whole for this this movie. Uh, But a great movie, great movie, disturbing, scary, does everything uh and once i looked up the whole payment thing and kind of had the ending explained uh it made complete sense and uh i liked it a lot more i thought it completed the movie perfectly uh, but i want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of the ray taylor show i hope you enjoyed my thoughts on hereditary don't forget to tune in on monday wednesday and friday for more movie and tv show reviews and join the conversation by leaving a comment or rating on your favorite podcast platform or over on youtube.com slash inspired disorder next week i will be talking about Midsomar. but until next time enjoy the show subscribe to the ray taylor show on youtube and everywhere podcasts are found binge the full week ad free over at inspired slash plus